0: Good evening. Well, the Home Secretary Priti Patel has been in Rwanda today, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson at Lyd Airport in Kent, and he really gave a big speech today on illegal immigration, by far the biggest he's given since he became Prime Minister. Our Home Affairs and Security Editor, Mark White, was there. This is what he saw.
1: Entering Dover Harbour, the all too familiar sight of yet another Border Force vessel arriving here, packed with would-be asylum seekers. Hundreds of people pulled from small boats in the middle of the English Channel. 28,500 last year alone, and already this year it's clear that record is set to be smashed. The Prime Minister, deeply frustrated by his government's inability to stem the flow of small boats, is now putting himself front and centre of those efforts, travelling to Kent to meet the teams at the sharp end, as the Royal Navy takes over command and control of channel operations and in a major shift of policy, the announcement that most of those who arrive here illegally will be sent on a one-way journey to Rwanda after that African nation agreed a multi-million pound deal with the UK.
0: So from today, our new migration and economic development partnership will mean that anyone entering the UK illegally as well as those who have arrived illegally since January the 1st may now be relocated to Rwanda. This innovative approach, driven by our shared humanitarian impulse and made possible by Brexit freedoms, will provide safe and legal routes
2: for asylum.
1: 4,000 miles from the UK, the Home Secretary was in the Rwandan capital to see the first in a series of new accommodation blocks being prepared to house the asylum seekers. Those sent here will be processed, and if they're granted asylum, their new life will be in this country. They won't be allowed to settle in the UK. The government is not planning to send women, children, or indeed married men to Rwanda, only single males. But that's still the vast majority of those arriving by small boats. Last year, 70% of small boat arrivals were single men. UK authorities are now operating a fleet of these drones over the channel and from today the Royal Navy takes over command of channel operations. In the weeks ahead these drones will be joined by Navy Wildcat helicopters and a fleet of new patrol boats. Human rights groups have already condemned the plans to send asylum seekers to Rwanda as cruel and inhumane, but one Border Force former senior manager believes it's the right thing to do. Now
3: they won't want to get into the hands of UK authorities because they won't want to go offshore to Rwanda. So the the Navy uh, will be able to intercept those people that don't want to be intercepted.
1: Any move to send asylum seekers to Rwanda could still be some way off as it's inevitable human rights groups will seek to challenge it in the courts. In the meantime, as hundreds continue to arrive by small boat daily, the government says it's also planning to house asylum seekers in purpose-built accommodation centres rather than spending the estimated £5 million a day to put them up in hotels across the country. Mark White, GB News, Kent.
0: Well, that was Mark White in LID today and a very major speech from the Prime Minister and, of course, as I said earlier, the Home Secretary of Priti Patel in Rwanda. So what do we make of it all? Well, I have to say, the reaction that I've had on the street from people today is, at last, they're doing something. And there are three big things they're doing. Number one, the Royal Navy are taking over operations in the English Channel. Number two, Linton on Ouse up in North Yorkshire is going to become a big reception centre and camp. But the really big one, is that those young men that come here illegally will be sent to Rwanda and they'll be processed there. Now, what does all of this mean? It's important because the numbers that are coming are rocketing. 600 yesterday. haven't got the official number for today, but I'm guessing it's about 500 indeed. As Boris Johnson was speaking, in a little village of Greatstone about three and a half miles away from Lyd Airport at that very moment in time uh, a dinghy finished up on the sand People going off into the village um, and border force in the end going to pick them up. Ironically, whilst Boris Johnson was there, uh, a similar distance away, the Dungeness lifeboat was on yet another shout-out and it broke down. So (laughs) Boris, when he was there, uh, saw a fair bit of chaos around him. It matters for lots of reasons. I could be very, very cynical and say to you the timing of all of this is because the local elections are coming up on May the 5th. I could be even more cynical and say it's because the first fine's been issued to the Prime Minister and there are more to come. But you know what? Tonight's programme are special on the Crisis in the Channel. It's not about that. We want to actually understand what is really going on and whether it's going to work, because it strikes me that's important. Now, what do I think about this? Let's put it this way. If, and I think there is an if, but if we do see many hundreds Of young undocumented males who've crossed the English Channel being flown off to Rwanda, that will certainly in the short term act as something of a deterrent. After all, why would you pay a trafficker 3,000 euros, 5,000 euros, whatever the going rate may be, if you thought? in short order, you'd finish up in Rwanda. After all, it's Treasure Island, isn't it, that you want to come to. So it could be effective in the short term. But here's my real worry and my real concern, and it's this. The Australians started off going down this route 10 years ago when the boats started coming from Indonesia, an offshore processing centre. But the problem was that within a couple of months there were stories of abuse, there were stories of neglect, there were unpleasant tales coming out of those reception centres. And the whole world condemned Australia for being barbaric. There are already over 100,000 people in Rwanda in these types of centres that have come from other countries and you can believe it or not but some aid workers say conditions in those camps aren't great. All it would take is to hear of a couple of cases of abuse, of intimidation and suddenly yes the lefty lawyers as Boris likes to call them, the human rights lawyers would be in action. And just think about it, you know since the European Convention on Human Rights came into British law it's difficult for us to even deport terrorists let alone young men uh, who's, who, who we've no idea whether they have criminal records or not. It's going to be difficult. I can't see this in the long term working. I think Brexit hasn't actually been completed. I don't think until we leave the European Convention on Human Rights, till we leave the European Court, till we genuinely establish sovereignty over these issues, I don't think we'll be able to deal with this problem. I still think that actually in the end we're simply going to have to pick people up on the channel, fingerprint them, try and find out who they are and basically take them back to France, however much, the French president screams and shouts. However, I'm going I'm to raise half a cheer for the government today. They have at least done something and it might, if they carry on with it, it might have a bit of a deterrent effect. I want to know, please, what you think. Send in your thoughts. Farage at GBnews.uk. Now, I'm joined by Tom Persglove, Minister for Tackling Illegal Immigration.
2: Good scene, I I'm very pleased you're here on the programme. Thank
0: you. On, on what is an important day. Mm. We have kind of heard all this before, haven't we? I mean, big announcements from Pretty Patel. There was one that sounded like a sort of James Bond film launch. We were told about drones and RAF planes and the channel task commander, Dan Omani, Whatever happened to him?
2: Well, Dan Omani is still working tirelessly every day on this issue and you are somebody who has long raised this concern. And I think it's absolutely right that we take a strong stance in response to this issue. The bottom line is... People are out there today saying that this is cruel, that this is inhumane. What I think is cruel and what is un- inhumane and what is unacceptable is allowing evil criminal gangs to take advantage of people, to take their money with no regard at all for human life and to allow people to drown in the channel. It is terrible and we simply cannot have the sort of incidents that we had Tom, back I- in I November. I don't
0: disagree with a word of that and I- I'm sure people watching don't disagree with the word of that. The trouble is, the point I'm making is, we've heard these kind of things before over the course of the last... Well, actually, ever since 2019, we've been hearing the same thing over and over, coming from the Home Office, and to date, none of it's worked, has it?
2: The point I would make is that we have consistently said that one single intervention will not resolve this issue. It's all about the wider package of measures, the new plan for immigration, the Nationality and Borders Bill, which is making its way through Parliament, as well as the measures that we've announced today. I mean, I really do think that this economic development partnership with Rwanda is a significant step that we are determined to take to really shift the dial in terms of making an impact on this. Let's
0: go through step by step what you propose today and let's see whether it can work. Number one, the Royal Navy taking control. Those five new Royal Naval vessels, they've been in Ramsgate harbour covered in tarpaulins for the last few weeks, they've been unveiled today but there's a problem isn't there? The gunwales are too high for them to be able to actually take migrants from small inflatable dinghies on board and today they were going around the channel, it was actually RNLI that was doing all the work and they were simply picking up empty dinghies. Have you got the naval
2: boats wrong? So. The situation is that of course there is a lot of expertise in the Royal Navy that we have been drawing upon but the command and control structure that the Royal Navy is now responsible for I think helps to move this forward. You absolutely were right to touch on these unacceptable beach landings and I would argue that as the deterrent of the Rwanda model comes into force it is more likely that migrants will want to land without being detected. To date migrants have wanted to be detected because they have wanted to enter our asylum system so I think that the the chances of
0: that beach landings, and that will be a great comfort, by the way, to people in Kent who course. are very concerned mm, about what's going on. And you see uh, people running across through the countryside, helicopters, chasing them for hours. The point I'm making is that it looks like on day one the Royal Naval vessels are not fit for purpose.
2: So what it does, it supplements of course the existing Border Force vessels that we've been routinely deploying in the channel. Right. This is about building capacity, it's about building resources, so it's have, about building expertise. So we Border Force, RNLI, and the Royal Navy. This is about building well, expertise and about building okay. capacity, well, and I think that,
0: that is really welcome. Well, they won't be picking up people because the, the boats really aren't suitable. Let's think about what's going to happen in North Yorkshire, this linton Onu's site. How big is it? How many people can it take?
2: So what we're talking about, of course, is the completely unacceptable spend that we've got on hotels at the moment. The message that I consistently hear from my colleagues in Parliament and from their constituents is that they're fed up of the fact that we're spending £5 million a day accommodating people in hotels. And so one of the things we committed to through the new plan for immigration was to develop these accommodation centres where people would be located um, in those centres, where we would have case working facilities built around it so that we can process cases more quickly, Individuals that require sanctuary should receive sanctuary. But of course we also want to remove people who've got no right to be here as quickly as possible. Okay. So this is about getting this under proper control, reducing those costs, and then of course also trying to casework more quickly so that we get decisions so sooner. It's, the,
0: it's the women and children,
2: is it, that go to linton on News? So it will predominantly be um, single men. males. And of course, in relation to hang on, um, hang
0: on the single males are going to Rwanda.
2: Well, We of course, what we need to do is we need to work through this. We're dealing with quite significant numbers of people. We need to get the Rwanda model established and we need it to work and we need it to be successful. So in the interim this will be challenging. I think the Prime Minister was very honest about that today and I think he was right to be. So how many people Um, do you think will come across the channel this year? I'm not going to speculate um, and I don't want to do 50, anything 000, I, look I think 000, last year was unacceptable more. in terms of the number of people that we saw at well, 28,000 and we do not want to be in that position which is why which is why and I know you'll support me on this I would call on parliamentarians to get their act together and to get this bill passed into law so that we get the measures that we need as soon as possible on the statute book to help us in dealing with this we've got to get the spend under control it's not acceptable you and I campaigned together in the referendum in saying that uncontrolled immigration Take into back. our country our wasn't right and we're determined to to put that right and that's what the steps today will help us to do so the
0: 120 million pounds for rwanda your argument is that could be small beer in the end compared to the hotel bills and everything else we're picking up at the moment.
2: Most definitely. And I think, you know, at £5 million a day on hotel spend, that is very, very considerable. And the point I make is that, of course, the Economic Development Partnership, £120 million up front. And then, of course, we will be supporting some of the costs associated with processing. But the, the key point in all of this is that we need to get the system into a much more sustainable position. This is not sustainable at the moment, as you've alluded I, and to. And all agree with that. And so, so of course, in the long job. term, we should be saving yeah. money. Let's be getting clear. The system under Let's control. Be clear,
0: a young undocumented male is taken in to Dover Docks. Is the plan that he would go pretty much straight to Rwanda, or would
2: his claim be looked at? Would there be some assessment here before he was put on the aeroplane? So obviously we have to be compliant with our international obligations. That is essential. And of course, as the Prime Minister alluded to today, there is a significant chance that we will be legally challenged, which is why it's crucial that we live up to those international obligations. And I would argue that legal challenge is baseless if those international obligations are lived up to, which we will do. Individuals will be screened right. upon their arrival. Um, obviously the determining factor will be whether it is safe for those individuals to be uh, okay. relocated to Rwanda and we would then want to get so, on and so do that as quickly so as if possible.
0: if they have been screened and they are safe to fly to Rwanda and then they pass their refugee status test in Rwanda, do they come back to the EU? No.
2: They stay in Rwanda. Do They They must be really clear about that point. And
0: if they fail, they stay as well, do they? Um,
2: That is a matter for the Rwandan authorities. Effectively, the moment that people step off the plane in Rwanda, they are the responsibility of the Rwandan government.
0: Tom, final thought. Is any of this actually going to work all the while the Human Rights Act is, is there in British law?
2: We are absolutely determined, as the Prime Minister said today, to do everything within our power to deliver on all of the measures that we are introducing, including this new economic development partnership. I think we can't afford to fail on this. The British people would feel reveal, really strongly you about it. the
0: Human Rights and Act if it proves that this plan cannot operate because of that European legislation in UK law?
2: Well, I am very clear, Nigel, that what we are doing is entirely compliant with our international obligations, and so that shouldn't be required. The Deputy Prime Minister is looking at, of course, the human rights legislation. That's currently out to consultation, and we are determined to bring forward reform. But I would argue that the policies that we are talking about today are compliant, so I would argue that legal challenge will be baseless.
0: We'll see. This one will run and run. Tom Purse Club, thank you very Good much indeed you. for joining me asked you earlier, do you think this will solve the channel crisis? And some of your thoughts. One viewer says, I hope so. If we do nothing, how many more will flood in? Well, the answer to that is tens, if not hundreds of thousands over the next few years. Brian says uh, regarding Boris, he has to be seen to do something as he has failed in the UK, at everything else. Gosh, you're very cynical, Brian. Another says, there isn't a channel crisis. There's an ignorance epidemic. And Colin says, let's just hope it works. It's a good deterrent. Well, Colin, if they do this, if they do start flying off hundreds of young men to Rwanda, it will be really a very good deterrent. But how long will that last? Well, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, WENT ON ABOUT LAWYERS TODAY QUITE A BIT AND I'M JOINED BY IMMIGRATION LAWYER IVAN Sampson. AND we, YOU'VE BEEN ON THIS SHOW BEFORE. Uh, I KNOW YOU'RE SOMEONE THAT WANTS US TO BE GENEROUS IN TERMS OF NUMBERS TO THOSE THAT COME INTO THIS COUNTRY AS REFUGEES AND WE COULD ARGUE WE'VE BEEN VERY GENEROUS IN THE LAST YEAR, HAVEN'T WE? VERY GENEROUS TO HONG KONG. I MEAN, YOU KNOW, TENS OF THOUSANDS, GETTING ON FOR 100,000 PEOPLE have COME FROM HONG KONG. GENEROUS TO REFUGEES FROM AFGHANISTAN. Uh, We are becoming, albeit through slow bureaucracy, generous to refugees, I mean genuine refugees that are coming from Ukraine. We are by nature a very generous country.
4: Yeah, I agree we are, but when it comes to the overall numbers coming here, we lag behind our European partners.
0: Oh, but they don't do it voluntarily. They do it because they've got a problem coming across the
4: Mediterranean. Yes. It's, this is not something they've chosen, is it? No, I agree with you. Being an island, we have a choice. Yes. And, and that's a valid point. I think this new, um, I heard the minister who came on before. Yep. I think this Rwandan offshoring policy is fraught with difficulties. Um, I'm here to talk about the legal problems they're going to have.
0: Yes, I mean, I did touch at the end of that interview with him on the whole human rights act. It seemed to me that as soon as you get a case of abuse or several cases of abuse in these holding centres in Rwanda, uh, suddenly under human rights, uh, you know, there'll be court cases and, you, well, you can't fly people there because their human rights could be put in jeopardy. Is that kind of how the playbook could work?
4: You're partly right. We, even if we came out of the European Convention on Human Rights, it wouldn't make any difference. The key problem for the government is Article 31 of the Refugee Convention Ah, and how we interpret that. We've been here before. So the three quick questions are, um, do you need to claim asylum in the first country? The convention says you don't. The government says you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next question is, if you come in clandestine, should you be treated less favourably? The new bill says, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. The convention says you can't.
0: So actually, I was wrong. It's not just the human rights act that needs to be amended. This convention was drawn up in 1951. The world's a completely different place. We need to address that too, don't we? Uh,
4: I think we we drafted that convention. It was British lawyers post World
0: War II in a very different world, Ivan.
4: No, I disagree. I, I think it was drafted loosely for a reason. You have to remember, and Ukraine is a good example. People fleeing with what's on their back. So when you're faced with that situation, you can't have hurdles and rules, as you do with an immigration What
0: about, about brand-new iPhone 12s, very expensive training shoes, because that's what we see quite a lot coming across the channel, isn't it?
4: Um, I, I couldn't comment on that, but the, the well, convention... Well, I could. I've been there. I've seen yeah. it. The, the problem is, is that this policy is in breach of our international obligations. You mentioned the Human Rights Act. You're right. It's a clear breach of Article 3, uh, inhumane degrading treatment. We're getting into bed with a country with a terrible record of torture, of... Um, no,
0: Boris Johnson said it's the safe, one of the safest places in the world. I heard him earlier.
4: Yeah, I think I, I dealt with asylum seekers from Rwanda. Um, I think in the mid-noughties, they were one of the worst offenders of torture of detainees. And what's, once they're in Rwanda, what about the control? Because we heard the minister say, well, they're not our responsibility... What are the checks?
0: I mean, that was if they if if they went to Rwanda and failed the test.
4: What are the checks and balances? Oh, how we once we hand people over to Rwanda, who is going to check?
0: No, listen. These are unanswered questions, and I I don't think the minister can answer those questions. They haven't fully thought this all through. But I put it to you, it's a very important political imperative in this country that we stop this cross channel. I agree with you. People are infuriated about it, they see a sense of unfairness about it, You know, they say look my kid can't get on the council housing list and yet we're housing all these people. What do we do?
4: We don't take enough refugees, we've been here before.
1: We've We've been here
0: before. We've just taken 100,000 from Hong Kong, 15,000 from Afghanistan, goodness knows how many in the end from Ukraine, and you want us to take more? No,
4: I want us to take our fair share of people like people fleeing from Yemen and Syria, And Afghanistan who don't come within the um, government schemes who are just simply fleeing look the biggest pull factor to come to the UK and you've read the report by who a a organization which did a survey in Calais is I've got a brother in the UK and I've got a mother and what's going to happen is with this new policy may be true oh I I've got experience of it over 25 years yeah And so because we've taken a lot of refugees before, over the last 25 years, they've got members who are now going to join them.
0: You are one of these lefty, lawyer, open borders types that Boris talked about today, aren't you?
4: Uh, Actually, you couldn't be more further from the (laughs) truth because I'm a paid-up Conservative member. Well, there you
0: are. Ivan, you clearly don't see any solution to this. Just finally, quickly... There is a
4: solution, Nigel. Yes, we should have overseas, but not in Rwanda. We should have them in France. Our minister right. should be busy having a bilateral treaty with the French to say, can we process them in All France? Right. And,
0: and finally, finally, will Rwanda happen?
4: No. I, well, I don't think so. I, it's unlikely. Um, it, it's unlikely because there'll be a raft of legal challenges and ultimately the courts will decide.
0: Ivan Thank you for joining us here on GB News. Now, we're going to just change tack for a moment because there are one or two other stories that I thought we ought to cover. Um, And we're going to go to New Zealand and I was absolutely astonished. As you know, New Zealand have become, and Canada too, but New Zealand have become one of the most authoritarian governments in the whole of the world. And this is quite extraordinary. This is a real what the Farage moment. Three siblings, one of whom is at high risk of serious illness if he catches COVID. They've been ordered by a judge in a family court to get vaccinated. And the children's father, who himself is unvaccinated, has been told he won't be able to see his children unless they do, uh, they and he get vaccinated. And I just think this is the kind of big government, Orwellian nightmare that so many of us have warned about. And New Zealand, frankly, seem to have completely lost the plot. Those going for zero COVID, they're never gonna get there and it's never ever going to work. Now, Ben Goldsmith, and this pains me slightly because Ben Goldsmith is a friend of mine. He's someone I like very, very much. He is a government advisor at DEFRA. He's somebody dedicated to all sorts of environmental causes. And very worried. He said he panics about climate change and what it might do to all of us. Well, he went on Twitter a couple of days ago when we are talking about the Just Stop Oil protesters causing so much difficulty and misery to people. And he said the protesters are right to be doing whatever it takes to wake people up. Well, I couldn't believe this. I mean, not only... Does he have a job? Does he work with DEFRA? His brother, of course, Lord Goldsmith, Lord Zach Goldsmith, is Environment Minister, and I thought, well, Goldsmith, you know, Ben's position, it's just not tenable. Well, today, he has actually deleted that tweet, and he has said the Extinction Rebellion Organization's methods are bonkers. Well, I have to say, Ben Goldsmith, well done. You've U-turned. Something this government does incredibly well, and by doing so, undoubtedly, you have saved your job. Some more audience reactions coming in. You've heard what the minister had to say, and, and, and let's be honest, you know, this plan is not fully thought through. Matty says, brilliant, personally, we will save a fortune in not paying benefits to them. Why else are they skipping every other EU nation and coming to the UK? John says, I hope that it works but I'm afraid it's smoke and mirrors. Another viewer says, Nigel, hardly any will go. This is for votes only. No, it will not stop them, and Boris will probably have conned us again. (laughs) Sue says, I believe in Boris. This is better than doing nothing. Well, Sue, that was what I got from people this morning. I was out and about in Hastings this morning, and people were saying to me, at least they're doing something. But they have tried all sorts of initiatives before. All of them have failed. If people go to Rwanda, it'll have a short-term deterrent. I just can't see it happening. But there we are. Let's hope I'm wrong. Well, it's not the GB News Tavern in Paddington, but we're here in Westminster, and it is Talking Pints. And after a long day, uh, my guest tonight... Tony Smith, you've, I don't know how many interviews you've done today, Tony, but you could probably do with a drink, couldn't you? I could indeed, Nigel. Thank well, you very, very, very so much. Welcome yeah, to Talking Pines. Thank you very much that for inviting not me.
3: I little certainly bit. Could do with a drink, yes, indeed. Now, this has been
0: your whole career. Yeah. And it's still your career. And, yeah. and you're now, you know, you're outside the Home Office after yeah. 40 years, but you're giving advice and strategic global advice and yeah. security advice and all of those things. So, was it 1972? Yeah you started off? In... I did
3: indeed Nigel, I worked in the aliens branch. The a- Can you imagine that
0: word being used today?
3: <laughs> no I can't actually but I was, a, I was a young lad, I went straight into the business from school, didn't go to university, didn't really know what I wanted to do, asked for the civil service and just ended up in the aliens branch deciding whether or not aliens could stay <laughs> or not. Um, what, they were what... already in the country by then, I was, I was doing extensions. What, what defined an alien? Someone who wasn't a Commonwealth citizen, basically. So the, the, the aliens' files were green and the Commonwealth files were yellow. And Commonwealth citizens, I mean, it wasn't very long before I started at Heathrow that Commonwealth citizens were being waved through the UK border, actually, yeah. Nigel. And we were, we were just stopping aliens. And some of my early refusals were young European men yeah. who were coming here ostensibly as, as visitors, but really to try and get employment, to protect the labour market. Of course, 20, fast forward 20 years, and we're waving through. Europeans actually refusing entry to it's Commonwealth citizens. W- so, it's I mean, gone, it's, it's just gone. It's gone. It full keeps going round and round, Nigel.
0: Yeah. No, it has. And you've documented all of this. You've, well, got, I, you've got a book out. I have got a book out, Nigel. And
3: uh, I did bring you a copy and I, I did write in there for you because you've interviewed, not just you, lots of, lots yeah. of journalists have interviewed you. But I did say that, Nigel, for everything that you always wanted to know about immigration and borders, but were never afraid to ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much indeed. I'll be having a good read of that changing borders. But it is interesting, isn't it? You know, you yeah. talk about 1972, Yeah. as you say. You know, obviously the situation with Europe changed yeah. fundamentally. But for the first 20 years, we didn't notice, did we? Because for the first 20 years, you know, some of us went to work in Europe, some Europeans came to work here. Wasn't really, was it, until the 1990s that we saw a lot of French people coming to London, and then, of course, it was in the it was in the wasn't it, when the former communist countries joined that we saw that really, really big change.
3: Yeah, that was a very big changing point actually, Nigel, when we did allow, it which was, it was called I think the exp- the expansion or the yeah. accession
0: of the A8. A8. To begin oh, with and then the, it was the A2 A8. after that. It was the, the, we had, it was the A8. And then we had. Bulgaria, Romania, that joined a few years later. And
3: you know what? I mean, just shortly before that, I can remember we were still actually arresting people from A8 countries and deporting them here because they were they were working illegally. And someone just said, "Look, oh, you better stop doing that." But as from tomorrow, actually, you know, they're allowed to to come freely. And don't worry, there'll only be a few a few thousand on the coaches at Victoria. <laughs> It'll be about eight thousand. Someone said 13,000, th- Blair's know, said thirteen thousand a <laughs> right, year, yeah.
0: and it was hundreds of thousands a year. Know. Yeah, was... I mean, we had that on the first day. I think yeah it was just completely out of control yeah. but but just take you back again so how did we used to do this how did we because today the big subject i mean we could talk about legal immigration mm. and we could talk about the fact the population's risen by 8 million this century etc yeah. but it's illegal immigration that yeah. the prime minister is talking about today and pretty yeah. patel's out in rwanda how did you you know as a, as a, as a, as a young officer engaged in this business how did you deal with people coming to britain Illegally. So I cut my teeth on the Immigration Act of 1971,
3: which came into force on 1173. Yeah. just about the time I was joining but that was probably the most draconian looking back piece of legislation cause it gave me huge powers Nigel I mean some powers that I wasn't aware were so huge but actually as an immigration officer I was empowered to decide whether or not you entered the country so when you came to my desk at, at the airport if I checked your passport I was trained to look out for forgeries and dodgy passports and yep. things and if you had a dodgy passport well then I would send you straight back on the first plane you arrived on by serving you with a notice and serving the airline with a notice and then we would keep you at the airport and you'd go straight home at the ferry ports really and then when we got into illegal entry the same thing applied if we found people that were coming up the beaches illegally then they were liable to detention. And did, it, and did that sort of thing happen? Oh in yes 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 in fact there was an amnesty I remember back in the 70s for illegal entrance and really? quite a lot of overstayers tried to pre- pretend they'd entered illegally to get into the amnesty so I remember all that quite well um, but, uh, yeah, there were illegal entrants. But the powers we had were probably, when you think about that now, draconian. But, yes, I, I, I didn't... And that's it. vested
0: in you, and yeah. they had and no I, right to call I, a lawyer or anything like that?
3: Now, it was upon the authority of my chief. So, I, whatever, I, if I wanted to refuse anybody, I had to get a second pair of eyes, which is my right. chief, who, right. would, who would second-guess my decision. And if they had an entry clearance or a work permit, they got a right of appeal before removed. But, generally, that's what I cut my teeth on for the first 20 years, years or so. What happened after that was this sort of huge uh, asylum uh, intake that we got in the it started in the nineties and I, I was here actually in the noughties, two thousand and two. We had a hundred thousand Nigel yeah. arrived at the, and it was a lot worse than now because they were actually camping on the beaches in Dover. I don't know if you remember I do, that. Yeah. huge investment. We had to triple the home office budget. In fact I was on an attachment to Canada and came back and we tripled the budget. I mean you know I couldn't come back at the same time you need totally all the people that we used to work for you have all been promoted. I mean we've had this massive asylum directorate created and, and we didn't have any computers, Nigel. This was paper, so there was a paper interview which we'd write down, keep at the port, yep. a pink file, and then there was another green one in the home office, and the paperwork just mounted up and up. We have got an iron mountain of files down in Hayes, where, where all these files were kept. But actually, we we simply sunk under, and so I still think we've never really recovered in the home office from the the backlogs that grew because they're this
0: not, became the not fit for purpose home
3: office. Oh, John Reed came in and he said that we weren't fit for purpose. I remember that very very well. And we, all, we were all put on leadership training courses, and we all went through additional, you know, re-evaluation of ourselves. But the fundamental issue was what we'd created was this huge bureaucracy around asylum, a huge legal uh, profession which continues to grow around asylum. So the decision making now is not at the border. Did the Human also. Rights
0: Act? Did the Human Rights Act coming in in the late nineteen nineties? Did, did it make a big difference in those days?
3: Yes, certainly, because now you, now you weren't just talking about asylum you were talking about a claim to human rights and particularly article 3 or article 8 now you couldn't do these things like i used to while the passenger was in front of you or the illegal entry on the bit you couldn't do that there and then because there were lots of things to consider you had to interview the person you had to get second check you had to you, so so it was a longer process you couldn't hold people Nigel, for all of that time you granted temporary admission so they'd be given a piece of paper so let go and live it. if you knew someone here you can yeah. live it with them if you don't know somebody here well you know we'll find somewhere that's when the asylum accommodation boom began and still goes on we heard today about five million was it in hotels now where- a day so yeah so 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 that's what happened so people are now in the community they haven't really got status they don't know what's going to happen to themselves and the home office is struggling to keep up but even when they do get to i met doing a presentation to Jack Straw's special advisor, you know, and, and I drew a race course about, you know, if you really want to achieve removals, you've got to get over, over these hurdles of refusal, appeal, judicial review, documentation, whatever. and then even when you – you don't get to the winning post because you can go round again because something happens, a relationship develops or something else, so, so it's a perennial cycle of casework that that has been the problem and successive governments have tried to bring in things like the new asylum model or uh, frivolous and vexatious claims, third country, removers, lots and lots of things done by color, co- governments of all colours, Nigel, you know, I've, I'm, t- I'm going back right the way back to, you know, oh, when yeah, we had a, the a Blair this. government actually, we had tipping in the Balance, do you remember that? I do,
0: yeah. I do, yeah. I do. How do you, Tony, for people at home, how would you as a professional in this industry, how do you define a genuine refugee As opposed to somebody who's an economic migrant, because that really is the crux, isn't it, of much of this debate?
3: Yeah, and it's really hard because because you know you haven't got very good evidence to go on, other than what they tell you when they arrive. You you haven't got third party evidence. You certainly don't have any documentary evidence. If there are no records of this person, how do you know, actually, whether or not? So you say, well, this is where you know this is this is this is the account that you have given. You've then got researchers in the home office Well, look at the country you say you came from. Were you really involved in that thing that happened at that time yeah. or not? So it's a very, very difficult process. But I do think it's right to distinguish people, Nigel, who have been out of their uh, homeland for a, a long, long time, for some time now, that have been living in a safe third country. And I think that's what they're trying to do now. And we went over with the BBC Kent crew to, to, to Calais just in, before Christmas. And we interviewed a chap who, who feared persecution in Iran, but he left Iran 15 years ago. <laughs> He'd been around <laughs> Europe, he's applied for visas for everywhere, and he told his, his friends, he said, look, come to Calais, the way in there is to get a boat. Yeah. He got a text from his friend in Cambridge who was working in a kebab shop, and he yeah, honestly yeah, thought, well, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. if I can't get a visa, this is what I need to do. So we yeah. need to, it's an education process, actually there are options for you. you can, he did get asylum status eventually in France, I think long residence concession in France, we've been there so long, but there are options for you to stay where you are. You don't all have to come to the UK, actually, although you may want to. So there's a difference between wanting to come to the UK and what are we going to do about the 80 million people that are displaced. And I think you're right. We have done some good things around Ukraine, some good things about Afghanistan. I think the UK has been up front and centre. What the Prime Minister is saying, you can't have both tracks. No. You've got a track of resettlement no, And that which made we sense me what you said, didn't it? But we? you can't invest more in this bit if you're continuing yeah. to allow... And then the smugglers
0: and the drownings don't get me started on that. I mean, you were there today at Lid, weren't you? Yeah, I was there, yeah. You were there watching him. Yeah. And, and it was no doubt said with some degree of sincerity. But i tell you what the question, people are having a pint in pubs and clubs all over Britain tonight. Yeah, good idea. Because they're going to be chatting yeah. in bars tonight and they're going to be saying, will this make the difference? Will this work? Because you and I both know that whatever you get in Westminster from politicians and media, out there in the real country, what's happening across the channel is provoking real anger. Mm. Real anger a sense of unfairness, a sense of, hey, is, this is not what Brexit Britain was supposed to be about. So the real question is, is this going to work? Are these proposals that have been put forward today actually going to work?
3: Uh, yeah, I've been asked that all day, Nigel, and the, the truthful what? answer this is... the last, I... time, you'll be, last <laughs> time you'll be asked... <laughs> I'll probably ask again tomorrow. The truthful <laughs> answer is, I don't know. And I don't think you know, I don't think anyone knows. I think what we can say, there is an intent now for it to work before today there wasn't any I couldn't see anything I might I, I, I agree with the previous speaker you know the lawyer really yeah. we need to deal with the EU you're right why have we not got a safe third with, with, with France or the EU I mean we you know we this Come on, let's be sensible. We've got people drowning on a joint waterway between our two yeah. countries. I and mean, you know I've advocated joint patrols, safe third, all yes, of that stuff. I, yes. You know I've worked with the French and I've got a lot of time for them. They don't like smugglers. You know, in Calais, they don't like smugglers and they want to work with us on these things. The French Enforcement Agency. This is political. This is political because we, we will, they will not agree for a safe third country agreement. France is a safe third country. People are not fleeing from France. And that's the premise upon which the Dublin Convention was, was, was set up, which I remember yeah. Dublin won back in the 90s, it's to stop what we called asylum shopping, because we found people were claiming and just running from country to country, and then we set up the Eurodac system, so we could say, well actually you've already claimed asylum, you've refused asylum in Belgium, why, yeah. why have you come here and claimed it again, this is not a well,
0: What do we do, because you know, we know that 90% of those across the channel are men, mm. 70% young men, single men, none of them have passports, mm. We can't check who they are. What do we do? Well, we, we've got to try and solve this. And if, 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 if Miranda's not going to work, is it possible that we can do what the Australians did? Is it possible we can pick these people up and take them straight back to Indonesia, as it was in Australia's case, or France in our case? Can it be done?
3: I think it can be done. and The Australian model proves that it can be done because they did use Nauru for this purpose and other islands. But you're right, they got a lot of criticism for it. I'm sure the scrutineers will be all over Rwanda like a rash tonight and tomorrow morning there'll be all kinds of stories. I don't know enough about Rwanda <laughs> not sure. to say what, but I'd be surprised if a bunch of civil servants have not been out there for a long, long time trying to dot the I's and to cross the T's to make sure that, those, that, that that is tied down and that you won't yeah. see that. But, but you're right, you know, the the, the, the that there will be an immediate challenge immediate challenge the moment the home office tries to do there'll be a legal challenge to this process there'll be a judicial review which can run on for several months if not (coughs) years and whilst that process we will not be allowed Nigel to I had to stop removals to Greece and Italy because a a judge once said that they haven't got a safe asylum system there so we were sending a lot of people back there and that year I was told well you're not doing your job properly Tony because you're not sending paper it wasn't my fault I mean it's because there was an injunction that prevented me from sending people well, I have back to there say, Tony Smith, <laughs> it, it
0: it does sound to me like um, in many ways it was all much easier much more straightforward even if it was a touch draconian <laughs> but back in 1972 we knew exactly what we were doing we knew where we stood for are we ever, ever going to get back to that sense of surety I don't think so, Nigel. We live in a
3: changed world now, don't we? And, I'm, you know, and I do really do sympathise with refugees. I get beaten up a lot for saying I've got no sympathy for migrants. I, I, for refugees, I have got utmost sympathy. And I've seen people brought here from and we have sent teams into Africa and brought people out of really difficult places. And it's the heartwarming side of the business, Nigel, mm. when you really are bringing somebody out of a dreadful, dreadful situation mm and doing your bit, you know, you're proud, so proud that you've resettled someone. So that's the really heartwarming side of the business, but you can't have one without the other. And I think that's where we've lost our way a little bit, is it be nice to be able to do that for everybody and perhaps not even have a border, yeah, but, but wait but a minute, you know, let's world, live in it? the real world, Nigel. Well, you I, know, want as say, you
0: know. I want to say I'm going to look forward to... <laughs> changing borders. Well, thank you. Uh, bit of a plug for you. <laughs> thank you, Nigel. And I can look forward to that and thanks for joining me on Talking Points. It's been my very, pleasure. Very, very thank you, Nigel. Pleasure to talk to you. And guys. thanks for the work you've done for the country. Thank, thank you very much. Cheers. We've got a few minutes left and I've got some barrage the Farages that have been sent in and I've not cheated. I haven't read them before, I promise. So, Mary asks me, if even sending people to Rwanda won't work, should we not just give up and have open borders? Oh, goodness gracious me, Mary. I mean, honestly, that is, I think, the worst kind of defeatism I've ever heard in my life. As Tony said a moment ago, you know, there comes a point when we will find a solution to this. The Australians found a solution to this. It's interesting that you know, when Australia had this problem, there were about 400 people a year dying crossing over from, from from Indonesia. When they started returning people to Indonesia, do you know how many died the next year? Zero. So let's not get defeatist. It's not over yet. Matt says to me on Twitter, do you think Sunak should go now and be replaced by someone else who will cut taxes rather than rise them? No, but Rishi said he's pretty much a tax-cutting kind of guy, so you must believe that. Look, I don't know where this is going to go. I suspect... And, you know, I said at the start of the programme I didn't want to be too cynical about the timing of what we heard today. I know May the 5th's coming up. I know Sunak and the PM are in trouble because I wanted the show to be about to debate actually whether this stuff really worked. Um, I I don't see a long-term future for Rishi Sunak in politics, as simple as that. He's one of those people that came in... Um, on the back of incredible privilege, uh, wanted to climb the greasy pole and get to the top. And when he realises that's not going to happen, he will be gone. That's my opinion. Phil asks, what do you think interest rates should be? I suggest 10%, which helps savers and pensioners. Phil, 10% would help savers and pensioners and completely bankrupt the country. <laughs> do you realise the debt repayment on our national debt is now pushing up towards 100 billion a year? think about personal debt, think about mortgages. If you smash up interest rates, you will crush inflation. That's true. But you'll actually have a depression rather like the 1930s. I really honestly wouldn't recommend it. And John asks, do you think fines should be issued in proportion to someone's income? £50 is hardly proportionate to the Prime Minister. Well, we don't actually know whether the Prime Minister was fined £50. We know that others that worked at Downing Street were fined £50. We don't know what he was fined. I'm not sure we're ever going to find this out, but we're going to try. But I think the truth of it is there are more fines to come. No, of course it is not proportionate. On that, quickly Tony, before we go what should the punishment be for traffickers?
3: I go for life Nigel. These are evil people. I've met them. They're evil. They don't care about human life at all. I don't mind if people drown. They will tell you that. I don't care, so long as you give me the money. Absolute maximum for me. So it would be, and and life would actually mean. Life. Genuinely. Well, what is life now? (laughs) I mean, what does it mean? 12 years, years,
0: Uh, 14 years. But I mean, they're getting out
3: after a couple of years, Nigel, at the moment, and that's not copyright,
0: surely. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means either. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this evening for this Channel Crisis special. It was good, I think, to get the minister responsible. In for this this evening. Uh, We'll debate over the course of the next few days whether you think the answers he gave you were fulsome answers or not. Um, I have to say, it was a big announcement. I think what's become really clear to me over the course of the day, and in particular this evening, is. They've set a path, but they haven't really thought it all through. Now, I'm going to be doing a Farage at Large in Medway very, very shortly. If you want to come along and join that crowd, go to gbnews.co.uk. I'd love to see you there. I'll be back with you next week.